Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another fun-filled, fabulous episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and joining me, as always, is the one and only Nick Nanavati, the Tom Brady of Warhammer 40K. Uh, Nick, how are you doing? Why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest from the land down under, and let's Hi. talk about some orcs. I am doing great, John. As always, I appreciate your glowing intros. We have Aaron Green here today, who is one of our latest uh, members of the Art of War team. He's really recently started coming on to help out with some of the faction clinics and the Meta Mondays, and soon you can actually get coaching from the man, the myth, the legend, Aaron Green. He's, uh, he's been playing 40K for not too long, just three years now, but in those quick short three years, he's climbed up the 40K competitive ladder quite a lot, uh, went on with our Art of War team for the Australian Team Championships. Am I getting that right? Queensland? Queensland. Queensland? Yeah. All right. Cool. So there's a Queensland team tournament. Aaron and his gang of Art of War down under guys, they won. And Aaron won in spectacular fashion playing an army that I think is incredibly forgotten about right now. The Green Machine works. So Aaron, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me on, boys. Uh, Aaron, welcome to the show. And just before we get started, I, sh- I would be remiss if I didn't mention to our newer listeners, this is episode one where we talk about what we call our strategy episode, uh, everything that's going to be in Aaron's list, why it's in the list, what other things he considered putting in the list, and then sort of what the overall strategy is. You can kind of think about it as a macro discussion. Episode two, which is only available to patrons, will be all about optimal play with the list. How do you actually take this on the table and use it in specific matchups, in specific situations, specific scenarios? And we'll get all of that in episode two. So Aaron, welcome to the show. Why don't you go ahead and start breaking down your list? Sure can. All right. So um, for this team event, uh, we wanted to take a list that was kind of really hard for people to pair into um, and you know just ask some questions to some lists that they probably just don't have the answers for. So um, we took Orcs. It was a battalion detachment of Goths uh, led by Gazgal, um, who is just an amazing beast on the table. Um, we've also got a big mech in uh, Mega Armor upgraded to Cleberus Boss with Relic Killer Claw um, and Custom Force Field, uh, and then ran it out by a weird boy, um, we upgraded to Warped, um, taking to Jump, which is fairly staple, but also another interesting spell that I, I think is overlooked a lot, which is the Goth specific one, Bull Charge, that came in the Psychic Awakening. Um, and then we've got, uh, in the troops, we've got uh, four lots of 30 boys uh, with a Noble Kill Saw, and then a mob of uh, 29 boys with a Noble Big Chop Up. And all the all these units are upgraded with the Scar Boys upgrade to give them Strength 5. Um, then we've got three MSU uh, five-man commando squads uh, rounded out with a Pain Boy, uh, and then two Death Copters. Um, so that's... 2,000 points on the nose, start with 6 CP. So breaking it down, it's some characters, the big man himself, and 150 boys or so. Is that about it? That's pretty much it. It's pretty simple. Um, I'm sure the devil is in the details here. Um, why don't you break down for us like just exactly how this word or court works and why you brought it in a team setting? Yeah, definitely. So for this particular event, um, as part of the players pack, we knew what the missions were. So um, the first mission was Overrun, which is um, a domination uh, primary mission. And then the second mission uh, was Vital Intelligence, which is also a domination um, primary um, scoring mission. And the third mission was Sweep and Clear, which um, was a take and hold for you know uh, one primary um, uh, for five points. But it had a very interesting secondary. So basically the whole thought around the list was how we can um, control the board um, by just putting an obscene amount of bodies on it that also have uh, the power to really clear out um, any threats um, and then basically just score 
as much uh, and as quickly as possible uh, before the opponent has anything to do about it. So that was the kind of general strategy for the list. And do you do you find that a lot of people are sort of uh, packing the heat? They're coming with like their eradicators with their meltas, and that just doesn't do anything to your list. So yeah. um, is that what you, is what you were trying to do? Is kind of create situations where you know people had some tank busting lists or people people with a lot of like low high quality firepower but low amount of shots where you could just overwhelm them with bodies yeah that definitely felt like the general theme of what a lot of the lists ended up being submitted for so in the team's environment you can only have one codex per team so there was only ever going to be one space marines list Um, and space marines are heading in that you know really elite kind of pathway at the moment where it's less troops you know rights of war allows them to have you know so many elite choices and it doesn't really matter for obsec so that's really interesting there. And then the the resilient list that we've been seeing, which is kind of like your your demons with Beast of Nurgle and things like that, they they generally are super resilient, um, less obsec, and but the the output um, to clear hordes isn't there either. So you know when we were building, we were like, there's going to be very few kind of lists out there that can actually bring enough shots or enough you know combat potential to really to really clear this list and you know even if they do by the time that they do it's you know late turn four turn five and the the points have already been decided so yeah yeah it makes perfect sense to me so it's very much a meta pick for a specific uh team environment where you knew the missions and you knew like all right i can choose not to play this one hard counter type thing and we already covered the matchups in part two in detail is that pretty much the reason why you went for works Yes. Um, also, um, it was it. It felt like it was uh, an army that isn't isn't seen a lot um, recently. So, well, also you know, like it's really interesting. Like if you ask me what the top five armies in 40k are, orcs would not make my list. I would come up with like ten armies before I said orcs. But you've gone for orcs in your five person team event, so that choice in and of itself has a lot of discussion to be had around it. So, what made you go that direction? Like, well, I think. Mainly because of you know you generally look across armies at the moment they they aren't expecting a horde because there's not really any other horde armies operating um, and you know winning GTs and you know really causing big ripples in discussion at the moment um, and orcs do it very very well I mean with all the price rises boys are still eight points a model um, so there's a lot of value there to be had for a T4 body um, that has the output that a boy does. Um, and then when you look across the meta, uh, toughness four, especially around Marines, is very prevalent. Um, and then there's some T5. So having all your troop choices upgraded to strength five starts opening up some really good uh, equations in your favor, um, especially with the volume of attacks that you know a single boy can put out around Gaz. So there's that element where it just matches well into a lot of things that can't handle it. But there's also just the way ninth is constructed because um, this plays to almost every primary mission extremely strongly. Um, and then you've got all the MSU units in there to just start picking up your secondaries, no problem. So it's like it, just from a drawing board perspective, this list scores and combats well um, before you even know who your opponent is. All right, so, well, let's, let, let me ask you a quick question really quick. You mentioned that uh, Gaz makes your boys more effective. So let, why don't you go through all the buffs on the boys? And just for our newer, newer players who maybe don't play orcs or haven't played against orcs because they're not that popular right now, so they know what to look for, like how does all that break down and, and you know, how many attacks does a blob of 30 boys get at strength five and, you know, what are they doing? Cool. Um, so if we look at just a boy profile, Stock standard, they've got two attacks. Um, and then all mine have got slugger chopper. So the chopper gives them an extra attack. So then they're looking at three attacks. When they're over um, 20 models in the unit, they get an extra attack. So we're up to four. Um, and then being nearby Gaz uh, within six inches of him, you get an extra attack uh, as well if you're Goff. So um, basically each of these boys um, in optimal conditions are putting out five attacks each at strength five. Um, which you know, you know, on a, you never. It's with a with a boy on a thirty two mil base. Generally speaking, you're not getting them all in. Um, but you know, 
it's possible to get, say, 20 or so into combat fairly easily, depending on what you're attacking. So, you know, there's still just a huge volume of dice being thrown at your opponent. Um, and it's very, very favorable if they're toughness um, three, four, five, that kind of range. Uh, and then if they've got anything like a, a three up armor save, uh, is still fine to go into. And then when you're looking at like a two up armor save, is when the weight of attacks really start, you know, pushing it. Um, to be a bit better of a, a good trade for you. Um, but, yeah, and uh, the other buff that they get, so they, they hit on threes and Gaz uh, also gives them reroll ones. Um, and being goffs as well, their sixes explode in combat. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on. Um, and generally speaking, you, you're, hitting, you're hitting more than what you swing initially um, with the exploding attacks and the reroll ones. It's, it, it converts very, very well. Yeah, I think a lot of people underestimate goffs in combat versus regular boys in combat. Like the the mentality is like regular orcs hit pretty hard, you know, they're orcs, a lot of attacks, that's what they do. And goffs are like, they turn that up to eleven. They're like, you think that's a lot of attacks? I'm like, we have so many attacks. Let's breaking it down, like you're hitting on did did you take the banner in this list? I'm sorry. No, I didn't. Uh, okay. So you could be hitting on twos, re-rolling ones with exploding sixes. That's like a hundred and fifteen percent hit rate on your five or six attacks a model. Without the banner, you're like probably at a hundred percent. Oh no, only a hundred fifty unit. What what was me? So you, at that kind of volume, just to put it into perspective, like a hundred fifty hits onto a regular space marine type of unit is seventy five wounds. Doesn't care about transhuman, you know. It's just like ores. So seventy five wounds through a three up save is is uh twenty five failed saves. And through a two up save is like 12 and a half. So you're even killing like two up save wielding terminators or things like that. It's insane how hard these orcs hit for what they are. Um, to that end, though, I think a lot of people typically don't know how to play horde armies. Like it's very, you know, they don't put that much thought into it. It's like, I have a lot of guys, I'm gonna put them on the table and overwhelm my opponent. Could you explain exactly how to use this many models, like tactically? Yeah. Um, I guess you. It comes to deployment's very important. So it's not just like, and, and some, in some deployment maps, it actually just you take up your entire deployment. But it's, I guess, um, have, a, have a rough plan around deployment. Um, so, you know, which of your 30 man units are going to be pushing where? Like, where do, you, where do you actually envision your troops across the board? And where can you block? And where do you think your opponent's going to go? So, and it comes down to the mission as well. So there is a bit of thought that goes into it. Um, obviously planning for if you, you know, you don't go first. So defensively as well, what does that look like? Um, you know, where do you place your big mech with your force field to make sure that the, you, you kind of have to guess or anticipate where your opponent's going to put their firepower around one. So where can you protect those blobs as best as possible? Cause not everything's going to be able to be excused. Um, so yeah. And then, but there's, all, and there's also holding your backfield as well. So um, you know, moving out some units, keeping some units back in your deployment zone for like the second wave. Um, and you know, if you need to do some actions, you know, you know, how do you deploy in such a way that you can get your 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 board presence without an advance and still do the action that you need? Um, that's a question that gets asked a bit. Um, so it's yeah, the other the other thing that you really kind of need to be mindful of is obviously gas. Being a monster, you can't walk through walls. Um, so, you know, where's the best place for Gaz to make sure that depending on where your opponent moves, you've still got options to make sure that he's not, you know, wasting a turn of movement or something like that where getting stuck. So um, so would you say that it's pretty important with Gaz? Like he's sort of one of the most important models in your army. Obviously, he's 300 points. He's, he's going to be an important model in your army. Uh, so you need to have a plan from him from the beginning and sort of have like – with some options, right? Some some ways you can branch off, but have an idea of what his path is and how how far he's going to move. Like maybe even practice if you're a newer player, getting on some tables and seeing like where can gals get walking around things and and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a reactive player, so it's always have a loose plan, understand what your options are, and then kind of bounce off what your opponent does to to kind of counter their plan. That's really interesting because. Um... I also favor that reactive style and I found Gaz, I found, I've used him a few times and I find he's hard to get right. Cause like if I use him too aggressive early on, 
he just goes and gets himself killed. Like four damage a turn max and one CP to heal him if you do take a pain boy is uh is pretty good. Or sorry, four damage per phase. But against certain opponents, if they have like smites, if they have shooting, if they have combat, it does get done. And mm-hmm. uh if you use him a little bit more cautiously, he doesn't have enough of an impact on the game, I find. So like what's the magic sweet spot you found? Uh, the sweet spot I found was, you know, pr- obscure him as best as possible on the way up. Um and you, you're right. You need, you need to. There is a point where you need to get value out of him, and I think it comes down to each game. His value uh, varies based on what you're playing. Um, so, you know, there's some games where I've used him just using his buffs. He never got into combat. He didn't really do anything. He was just there for his buffs, which was perfect. You know, didn't make it wasn't a problem. There's other games where he's like, oh, okay, if he survives till turn three, the start of turn three, this just like that's almost a win condition because then he goes in and he tags an important combat unit that I don't want to deal with or boys can't deal with because it's like, you know, say a 10-man brick of Terminators or a big brick of Lich Guard or something like that where you're just not getting through the two up, they're too resilient. But at start of turn three, if you tag that um, that unit with Gaz, they're, they're kind of committed to that. They're probably never going to kill him. And then if, you know, they do choose to fall back with said unit, then they're wasting that unit and you're just getting so much value back in that regard. Gaz may never kill them. That's not a problem, but he's absorbing that kind of threat. Um, so I found I just, it, it, his job per game depended on the opponent to a degree. Um, and then just being just aware of what the threats to him were and then working around them and deciding if, you know, throwing him in early or keeping him back was the right play for, for the game. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And just it, it, like you said, you have to read the specific opponent and like how much are you going to get the value out of him just providing an aura of plus one attacks and letting the boys do all the work? Or do you need him running up there and just doing the work uh, on all the, all the models? Because basically the way I look at it is the more chaff and screens and things that boys are really good at just punching through, the less you need guys to go there and do it. And the more or the less chaff they have, the more just, you know, good stuff in their army that wants to be ripped open by gas. Mm. Or you might want to try to use gas to get it open. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's, that's spot on. That makes perfect sense. So then but look at the rest of your list. I'm trying to envision how it all comes together. I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that mm-hmm. the commandos are pretty much there to just provide cheap action things and maybe deep strike where scramblers are engaged in all fronts. Is that fair to say? hundred percent. Kind of, kind of obvious with that one. And then the, the def cop does the same idea, just uh, engage in all fronts or easy contests when you don't want to commit 30 boys and need something a little bit faster. Yep. Same deal. Um, I also, the only other thing that they, those kind of five units in total uh, potentially do is sometimes if I know if I'm expecting something to come down, like say blood letters or something like that, here's a cheap screen out that just, you know, makes that, yeah, you know, starts to, I guess, herd where those those deep strike units are going to come down. Yeah, I think that's uh that's a great point. Like you don't want to have to always scream at thirty boys. It's nice to just be like, this problem is going to solve itself. Yeah. Um, I noticed you made every boy unit scar boys as well, which of course string five is just like you're trashing marines and that kind of thing. Is that very much a meta call for what you're expected to see, or is this um, a team type choice? I actually just think that that it, if I'm not if I'm not taking Scarboys, um, I'm probably just taking Death Skulls as a as a faction. So I think the the Scarboys at uh, Strength Five make almost every matchup uh, better in some way. Um, and this list does not need vast amounts of CP to operate. So you know, I, I think it just makes sense. Can we talk about Strength Five for a minute? Because it's sort of one of those magical numbers that I think a lot of newer players probably won't realize, but st- there's a big, big difference between Strength 4 and Strength 5. Do you guys want to sort of talk about that a little bit, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you look at Strength 4 versus Strength 5, there's, you know, it's easy to to kind of not value that upgrade so tremendously because it's like, all right, you're going to lose Toughness 3, which is about half the game, anything not great uh, on 3s either way. So like, what did I accomplish here? Then you're going to wound vehicles on the same, like most vehicles are T7, lighter ones are T6. You're going to wound them on fives either way. It's like, and what am I doing? But with respect to where the meta's at, a lot, lot, lot of space marines out there in the world these days. They're made of T4 and T5. And you, like I said earlier, can actually get through them with like high volume of attacks, which pretty much only works can accomplish, to be honest. 
Um, being strength five is such a big deal for that. It's the difference of wounding, like every time there's a space marine, you you get value added. So toughness four, you're wounding on threes, and they're toughness five, you're wounding on fours. It's just direct value added. Then, I think the other the okay. other time you really, really see it is anytime you run into toughness eight, which isn't all the time, but yep. it does happen. Mm-hmm. The difference between four and five, you get twice as many wounds yeah. through. It's six right? versus fives is one six versus one third. It's literally twice as many. So there are the odd knight armies. Um, exorcists aren't never seen in sisters. Toughness eight does exist in the game. So being able to win that on fives is really I wonder if it also makes a, a difference in the math versus Necron Warriors. I imagine like 30 orcs kill 20 Necron Warriors like 100 times over. Mm. But um, at strain 5, maybe you know, it only takes 20 orcs to kill 20 warriors. And that's a lot nicer for dealing with potential Overwatch problems or if things just get chipped and you don't have a full 30-man or not every model gets to attack. I'm sure like you might think it's overkill, but it might just be exactly what you need. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the way I looked at it because the, the extra... Um, conversion on those wounds uh, is really good because, as you said, you, you almost never get thirty boys all into combat at once. Like that almost never happens. So, being able to convert as as strongly as possible just it, it just turns um, turns combats uh, on their head, and it surprises a lot of people how much actually gets through. Right, right. So, um, I guess. The one thing I, I look at when I see your army is that you you don't have many like plan Bs, right? Your plan A is to either exist on table or hit it with an orc void. And if those two options don't work from a strategic perspective, you don't really have anything else to do. Um, so what is how do you adjust your army? Like how do you make this into like if you trying to solve a problem and you only have a hammer, the hammer's not gonna solve the problem. What do you do? <laughs> Make a bigger hammer. Um, so I guess one of the things we haven't um, scratched on as well is the fact that I do have access to Green Tide. So there's 150 boys is all of a sudden basically 180 boys um, and mob up. So they're probably the, my two, they're two of the ways I look at problem solving uh, facilitated by the jump. So, um, you know, there, there are games where, you know, if I go second or, you know, by turn, you know, start turn three or something like that, I'm like, ooh, a lot of boys actually have died because, you know, that can happen. Um, I, I basically don't have saves in combat um, and, you know, there's a lot of outputs on some Marine armies and things like that as well. So being able to, you know, clutch save a couple handful of boys out of one squad uh, and then, you know, bring it back at full strength somewhere um is is incredibly powerful and, and helps problem solve especially if it's um filling my backfield or you know green tiding and, and then retaking an objective on the other side of the board um is very strong and then you know a lot of opponents that have played orcs before know that you know sometimes the best way to to attack these multiple units of 30 boys is to trim them um and not um just try and all out kill them um to try and avoid those green tides um, but that opens up opportunities. If you hit 10 boys, um, you can throw that, uh, you can mob that up into another unit, uh, potentially make like a 40-man squad or something like that, which just becomes pretty obscene as well. So there's a lot of little, you know, tricks that, that the the boys can do. Um, and then obviously with the weird boy to jumping them around to, to put, to keep asking questions of the opponent, even if they're coming up against a bit of a wall. Um, and then... The whole I don't need to kill everything on the board to to win the game as well. It's about you know scoring primary. It's about scoring those secondary objectives. So um, there's very few um, questions that I've found that can be asked of this list um, that prevents them from actually scoring points. To answer your question, let's. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a question about that. Before we do, let's take a quick break for uh, some sponsorship. I guess. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. All right, Aaron. Do you think that one of the, the major concepts of your list is you have a lot more objective secured and with the green tide, the ability to sort of 
um, flexibly put it someplace else <laughs> off of board edge, right? Um, and so that it allows you to sort of overwhelm uh, just having more objective secure, secured bodies that also happen to put out a ton of damage. So it's not like it's not like people want to sit around and trade punches with those those orc boys, right? Yeah, exactly right. Um, and then also if they if they're committing to just shooting you off, that like it it doesn't always work as well. Like if I like said to jump a unit of thirty boys onto an objective, and I look at the board state, and I know I'm probably not going to get charged. And the opponent goes, oh, I won't move towards that. I'm just going to shoot it and, you know, that'll take care of it. And then they are kind of undercommit or they're overconfident in like the amount of shots that they can put out and the boys just live, you know, with a handful of units. Then I've got that for next turn uh, from a primary perspective. And the other thing to mention is that um, morale um, is just a non-issue completely for orcs most of the time because of mob rule, but with the new... Uh, with the new rules around leadership, it like it, boys' units just hang around even more. Like it's almost impossible to lose a unit to morale, um, which is really really handy. So, yeah, I, I think that there's just so many different options to just hold the board state um, for for this list. And then you know, if that unit does take catastrophic damage, then that's a something that can just be green tided, or I can you know. Um, mob up with something if there's something nearby it just starts it just gets really annoying because it, it feels like you're not really achieving anything sometimes when you're playing against this list it just it's just a never-ending kind of slog yeah i can totally see that it's just stuff and stuff and stuff and i can see it's really good at i imagine um limiting your opponent's ability to score points like it's not super concerned with necessarily scoring all of its points itself although you are acknowledging that with all your little commandos and def copters and just boys on objectives is going to get you primary but uh i am i expect this army scores like the 60 70 range and then tries to keep the opponent below that is that kind of your approach here yeah um so it it can score very very well and because it it um it denies primary so strongly so especially in those domination missions where it's you know, hold two for five points and things like that. Uh, against elite armies, they find it... I generally find that uh, those particular missions, elite armies are trying, at least in the first two turns, to just hold two objectives um, to get their foot uh, in the door on the primary. And so that makes this kind of list just be like, okay, excellent. You just put all... You put a huge amount of um, effort into clearing the weaker one um, and then all of a sudden they're on zero primary start turn two and then you know they, they may try and poke out and take a different objective or, or try and retake that objective and then they're just they're already playing into the kind of the game that this list wants them to play uh, and there's there's been a lot of take and hold uh, sorry domination missions where I've been able to completely shut out any primary scored for uh, an opponent just by continually retaking just being you know really annoying like that with all the boys just getting all over their primary um then uh, by the end of, end of some of those games i have you know trays and trays of dead orcs and maybe you know 60 left on the table or less at the end of the game but they've got zero primary and they've only scored a handful of secondary points so you know they'll take that trade every day um so it's it's really interesting how good this list is at primary denial yeah so just speaking on your end, uh, primary, pretty straightforward, but what kind of secondaries are you looking to take for yourself? Um, for me, I guess, depending on the deployment, depending on the army, uh, Scramblers is almost an auto pick. And then in those games where it's not, it, it it's probably banners. It, it depends on the, it, it very much, it's just a question of what kind of, what's the deployment? How elites the opponent? Just to make sure that that, um, that scramble is always an option in the in their deployment. If it's not, and there's enough objectives that just take banners, um, because that works so strongly into this list as well. Uh, engage in all fronts, because I know every single game I'm going to be um, controlling the board um, as best as possible. And then it comes down to what's the mission? Uh, is it a really good secondary uh, mission, such as you know, vital intelligence is probably one of the strongest ones for this list. Um, and if it's not, if, if there's no good secondary um, from the mission specific uh, to choose it, it, it'll be the third choice is always what's the opponent got? How can I leverage that? So 
maybe it's an assassinate or something like that. Um, but it'll just depend game to game. Yeah, that's always a risky spot to find yourself. I I find especially when uh, you give up in the ranks. So your opponent is walking in with a nice score on the fifteen there, pretty much. Um, maybe I get not get all fifteen, but he's definitely getting a decent score. Um, yeah, definitely. So. You know, you only have two clean secondaries and then one iffy choice, and your opponent has one clean secondary plus a mirror army plus whatever he's built to do. Do you find it ever is too big of a hill to try to climb over, or is primary really that just skewed? I think primary is pretty skewed. Um, I also like usually when I build a list, I'll build it around knowing that one secondary is going to be able to be taken against me no matter what. Um, it, it'd be yours. Can we fight? Sorry, um, I've considered it. Um, it's all characters are pretty flimsy. Like I can make, I can probably make sure that the weird boy stays alive. No problem. Like he can just go hide in a corner, uh, teleport himself there if he needs to. Um, I usually put my big Mac, uh, in harm's way. Um, and my pain boy is always following gas. Um, and if things start really clearing out, then it's, you know, he can be kind of charged as well and, and things like that. So, um, I also find that when I take, if, if I take while we stand, um, mentally changes the way I approach putting some of my characters in there. Um, and the orc characters, generally speaking, they're doing the best work when they're out there in danger, causing problems for the opponent. So mm-hmm. I, I like using them that way. So I probably I don't really think about while we stand unless there could be there could be some matchups where it, it kind of makes sense. Maybe against like a demon horde that I know is just not going to get into my back lines at all or has no shooting threat whatsoever and you know things like that but it'd be rare right that makes sense to me so i guess um from your not not mission stuff anymore kind of going off topic um looking at your command points you spent a lot on scar boys you mean doing five squads of scar boys plus your binder you're starting at six green tide is three if you're not using that you've either lost horribly or won horribly it doesn't matter <laughs> um so What's the what's the CP like in your game? Are you fighting twice a lot, mobbing up a lot? Do you ever use the three CP strat to make the custom force field bigger? Anything I'm missing here? No, not really missing anything. Um, that that's probably all the things that I would generally uh, look at. Um, I haven't I've thought about the, the force field one before, but generally speaking, it just hasn't been necessary. Like you know, on deployment, um, any of the squads that are really kind of exposed, they're probably the ones that. Um, have the the big mech on it you can you can easily fit two squads of 30 um in the nine inch bubble um with the um big mech in the middle so the others if they're you know obscured or something like that it's generally a bit of a bit of an over investment um and yeah so that kind of leaves me with there's always kind of three kind of banked for for green tide as you said uh, and then it depends on the the game state so Fight twice is incredibly useful uh, sometimes for a squad of 30 boys. Um, can definitely uh, rip down a uh, unkillable world of change um, doing that. Um, and then the the only other ones are really, you know, strapped for healing. Um, Gaz with the pain boy, um, that comes up. And maybe Gaz or someone fighting in death for 2 CP. Um, and I'll... Usually that's not till you know turn three or four something like that, and I've I've generated CP by that point to to fit it all in. So yeah, I've I've never really gone. I've never had a game where I've gone. Oh, I just need more CP. Like it, it's generally I finish games with a like you know four or five CP. Sometimes it's happened. Like it's yeah, it it's pretty efficient on the CP usage because I've tried to build in as many upgrades and things that I need. Yeah, you don't actually um, have to be in the game and you spend it all before the game kind of thing. It's not yeah. Cool. Well, you said you use mop up a fair bit, but obviously you're not mobbing up 30 man units. So what's the idea with using mop up as part of your strategy here? Mob up's just a um a situation where if I get like two crippled units, um, so which which has happened before. So, you know, one unit gets crippled down to, you know, under 10, another one hits 10 or just under 10, and you're like, what do I do with these? You know? Uh and sometimes the best answer is just to um green tide one and then mob up the other and then that that is a a feeling that the opponent <laughs> mentally they if if they're a super experienced player they're probably like okay they, they get it but if if they're not it's actually it's a huge mental blow to an opponent to go oh i got these two units down to nothing and then all of a sudden there's another like there's a fresh 30 men on the table and then there's a combined 40 man squad coming at you as well it's like uh 
that that feeling of accomplishment of you know pushing almost sixty models off the table is, evaporates very quickly. It's I mean it's also amount of redeploying too. Like when you redeploy what used to be ten boys, so thirty boys appears totally somewhere else, and then you jump thirty boys totally somewhere mm. else. Your army can just be in a different spot all of a sudden. No, there's only so many places you can actually stand when you have this many models. But you know what I mean? You can really yeah. mess with something like that. Is that a thing you do often? Definitely. Um, so, you know, obviously when you're green tied, you've got some of the restrictions in terms of how far you can get back onto the board. So green sometimes it's just a green tide in the best position you can, but in range of the the weird boy to then redeploy that unit in the most optimal sense. Um, and it's even more depressing if you do that in an aggressive sense and then make that nine inch charge as well. Like it's, um, it can be, you, you can be in combat with a, with a crippled unit, green tied it to the other end of the board to jump it back near that combat and then make potentially make a charge as well. It's like, it, it, it gets, it gets pretty crazy sometimes. Uh, and it's a lot, like, it's a lot of fun to play. Um, the other thing I'll touch on, uh, is just bull charge for the weird boy. Um, so that's a, it's just an amazing spell in some clutch situations as well um, to get that auto seven inch charge. Um, there could be situations where you you know you charging through it would be charging through a forest or a crater or something like that, taking taking those next to your charge. Um, but bull charge makes it so you essentially ignore that and you make make seven inches um, if you don't roll seven inches uh, or the required charge. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Bolt charge is a spell. I, I've taken it once and I never actually got to use it, unfortunately. But it's one of those things I think a lot of people underestimate because you can't take like a nine inch charge and make it super easy. But uh, like how, how often do you use it? And like how, what kind of situations come up where you use it? It just comes up in situations where I, it's, I have to make, like I measure, like after movement and stuff, and I go, it's a seven inch charge. And I go, I have to make that charge. Like it's, very critical that I make that charge. And let's say there's situations where there's a crater there. So it's actually then that actually becomes a nine inch charge and I don't want to deal with that. Uh, or if it's just a, a simple fact of I have to make that charge. Like the, I, if I don't make that charge, this game starts going badly. Um, and so th that doing it in the psychic yeah, phase. I don't want to mess around and say, you know, rerollable six is not hard to pass, but you know, I feel that. Exactly. Who, who actually, you know, yeah. like, yeah. We see what here we go. So, you know, re like, you know, you can still reroll one of the dice and things like that. And so charging forks is already quite good. But, you know, I've played enough Gene Steel Cold and stuff like that in the past. You know, a rerollable seven inch charge is not always just a, a tick in the box. So, you know, no. I, I'll take as many extra layers of redundancy yeah. as I can. So, yeah. And like, there's no other like. It's a great spell for the weird boy, but I, and in this list, he definitely does not need warpath. Like warpath is like the biggest overcommitment to attacks um, that I can think of. So, bull charge for me to have it in that clutch game would be really good. And I think you know, with death watch potentially going to start rearing their heads up a bit more now, it's very good against that because if I know I need to make a charge, that that new stem the green tide isn't going to worry me either. There, there's a few things, and this is more high-level orc theory, which I guess is why people come to this podcast, um, which I, I've learned in my years playing orcs, and I'm surprised you're not making use of. So uh, first is why why we only have one weird boy here. So I like to take multiple weird boys, maybe make a few of them um, bigger, weird boy, whatever it's called, depending on what the situation is. Um, mm -hmm. And that way I can get a good amount of smite spam going because you have enough orcs where you can get big smites off pretty easily and start mm -hmm. doing like crippling amount of mortal wounds. So obviously we're in a very elitist meta. We just had TJ and Atlanta again on the other day to talk about how he poops mortal wounds at people and it works. Um, <laughs> not just talking about that. Um, obviously mortal wounds have value, but one thing I typically find is you might get in situations where like some dude drives a rhino into the corner of your orc unit. And you're just like, Man, I am stuck fighting this rhino. That sucks. <laughs> And being able to smite the rhino away after you beat it up with your work boys, lives on four wounds, and just smiting that problem out is really useful because then your work boy unit can go do something. Is that not a thing you've experienced? Um, not recently. Um, I could also just to jump that that unit out and be like, see you later, rhino boy. But um, yeah, but then you end up like, in a totally different it, spot. I, I, I love the idea of like multiple, you know, weird boys throwing out their smites. Um, the, the only problem, I guess, is this list. I literally can't put more weird boys in um, in the single battalion detachment. 
So I can't, I can't fit more. And then the question is, would I take out either of the other HQ choices? Big no, um, because they're kind of fundamental to the list to, you know, mainly the advance and charge or is that they're spreading out throughout the entire list. Um, so it, it it's probably a different list or, or a different style of list that would have the multiple weird boys in there as well. This, the weird boy is a is a interesting one in this list anyway. It'd be really nice not to have him, I guess, as well for the opening up of Bore the Witch. Um, not that I need it, but the Weird Boy is really there for those technical spells where I need them and being very targeted. So he's never really casting if he doesn't need to because I don't want to risk blowing him up, um, which is you know he happens to like doing. Um, so it's more it's. Yeah, he's kind of a backbone of the list in terms of making sure mobs of boys get where they need to and if there's a clutch charge on offer that he can facilitate that as well. Um, whereas if I had more, I could use them as a like a damage output and an actual weapon of the list. But um, I haven't kind of hit a game yet, I guess, with this that where my damage output would benefit, I guess, from multiple smarts if that makes sense yeah no definitely it's just it's one of those things that like maybe you practically haven't found this to be a thing you need uh absolutely no the yet. other thing is uh how there is no fist of goric for guys like uh it, it kills me i'd love it i would what is going on here <laughs> it's it's for bull charge that's that's like i had to weigh bull it up i had you chose bull charge over fists of gork like that's that's the level <laughs> of insurance you want to buy that's like i need to make sure i got insurance in case the sun explodes and i get cancer from the sun explodes and calm down buddy. you know like, hey, i'm very well hold on as a new player i, I want to talk about that choice really quick because that's actually <laughs> a really a really interesting choice can you talk about what those two different spells do and the sort of pros and cons of each and why you decided to go with bull charge over is it fist of gork or mark i can't remember what you said fist of gork so so what this comes this comes down to reliability as well so so fist of gork is a buffing spell for a character um and it gives um that that character model an extra two strength and attacks um so it would take at full profile gaz would go to seven attacks at strength ludicrous, he'd be what strength sixteen. Um, so that, yeah, seven attacks, strength sixteen, neg four, four damage, fight like amazing, right? Um, otherwise, he would be five attacks, strength twelve. Sorry, strength fourteen. Um, so there's obviously some extra combat potential there. Whereas bull charge is one of those things that um, makes sure or ensures that I get into combat. Uh, in a round where I really need to get into combat, so uh, they're very—they're both very clutch in their utilization, uh, and, but they're—they're they're both doing different jobs. So when I build lists, I, I like to build reliability into my lists to make sure that I'm not in a situation where uh, I'm sitting there going, "Oh, this would have happened if I got that off," and like I never like. I never like thinking that. I never like no 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 one you play ever wants to hear. Oh, I would have done this if I got that, and you know, becomes a silly a silly conversation um, of what ifs. So, um, I honestly would love Fisty Gork, but I just haven't found the opportunity to squeeze it in, uh, and I've never been in a position where it would have like made or broke broken a game. Um, but Bull Charge has been very useful for me. Um, uh, Problem solved. If I had a second weird boy in there, I'd definitely take it because I think it'd be great. Um, but you know, Gaz is already a bit of a monster in himself. He still explodes his own sixes and stuff like that. So there's routinely times where he's putting out more attacks. But I don't know. It's just one of those things where I'm limited by what I, the the uh, the slots that I've got. Yeah, I hear you. You, my my solution is take more weird boys. You get your smite battery and fists of gore. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you're like I don't need that crap. I hear you. <laughs> if it works, it works, right? All right. So, I <clears throat> I do want to ask one more thing. So this list was obviously designed to be in a team tournament and sort of massage your pairings, right? But would you take? Would you feel comfortable taking this list to a singles event? And what changes would you make if you wanted to do that? Uh, it's a really good question and one that I'm 
currently wrestling with very much at the moment because I've got some singles events coming up and um, Let me get this straight. Been... You played a you played a weekend and, and I get it. Team events you gotta take one for the team, do your duty with 150 boys. And then you're like, I wanna do this more on my own time. And you're like, <laughs> Are you just a masochist? Like, what's going on here? Uh I just really like orcs. But it's like it's one of the it's it's a list that I think just plays so well for ninth, uh, and an army that just plays so well for ninth that like you know people it's one of the great things about when considering what to take for a singles event is you know consider what people are expecting as well and if people aren't expecting you know a truckload of boys to be delivered to their table then that's you know always playing in your favor as well. For a singles event for this list, I don't like. I don't know because, the, like, obviously in the teams event, you you know potentially getting um, you, you're fighting for every point as well. So point scoring is really important. Uh, if you don't win a round, but if you score really well, that matters a lot in the team environment, um, which is what this list is do, designed to do to score very well. Uh, how it translates into a singles match, so like, it doesn't matter if I get, you know, if I only have a very small loss in a singles event that's still a loss in a singles event so um yeah so i guess to make it for a singles list i think it would require changes and i think it would have to lose one of the units of boys to then sub in as a problem solving unit so sometimes you know we touched on it even with if we play a list that has bulk two up armor, so let's say I don't know Raven Guard with Vanguard Vets with Storm Shields, uh, you know aggressors that can use the strat to bump up their armor save against one damage attacks, and then there's Blade Guard Vets and all of this juicy, juicy Marine stuff that has very easy access to two up armor. The boys really start bouncing heavily against almost everything they touch, which is not a fun time. So you would need a unit in there that could have some high AP with some damage dealing to that. So I don't know. There's there's multiple different options that could potentially fill those gaps. You've got tank buses that are doing flat three. You've got mega knobs. Um, you've there's a few other ideas that could come to mind. You've got scrap jets that can you know start pumping out some damage in that in that regard. So yeah, it's a, it's an open ended question. I guess at the moment I don't know exactly what the best fit would be. It would, require some experimentation but i think it is possible to adapt it to a singles environment that's really it's good to hear because i feel like orcs have been uh very interesting in their builds throughout night a lot of people shied away from the hordes and more towards the buggy spam at least over here in the states and i've tried it myself I've, i was unimpressed with orc firepower so maybe it's i did under, it wrong. Yeah. well yeah, i mean I, I always find that the, the, their actual shooting um is just super unreliable that's like, what it is. It's like you just you, you just can't bank on it. You'll have a game where you just miss the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the only the only way you ever really got around that was back when you could use fifteen looters, or even before that, where you could mob up and make twenty five looters, right? And then you're rerolling ones, you're exploding on fives, and that became semi reliable. Like that became pretty scary. But outside that, it's fives and sixes. You you, you can't. I don't know. I can't. I can't in good conscience make a list that goes. Yeah. This this feel like I can be confident in that because it's so swingy in terms of your dice rolls. So that's where like if it's not combat orcs, it's not going to be as reliable as you think it will be. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I've watched orc armies just miss when they're designed for all this MSU shooting stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, just one last quick question I wanted to ask: uh, Do you ever use the strat for giving you plus one save looted? I think it's called when a death copter dies. It's any vehicle dying. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned it to people. I've got. I can do this. It's never come up. Yeah, I mean, like six up to a five up isn't. We we talked about how big it is for the offensive side of things when you're trying to bring down a knight or whatever. On the saving side, it's also pretty tremendous. But then the AP is a factor again. So it's like, do you actually get a save? Yeah, it just depends. What like it'd be cool if it happened against like Beast of Nurgle or something like that. Um, but you know, it it just it's it's so rare for it to come up. It's a bit disappointing. Well, I think uh, I'm really just curious to see how you handle a variety of different matchups because I could think of a lot of armies that uh, you would do exceptionally well against that just can't handle it, and also a lot of armies that can handle it. So I'm curious to see how you play each of those. Uh, John, is there anything else you wanted to ask? 
No, but I, I really appreciate Aaron getting up really early for him to be able for us to, to have this podcast done. So everybody should send out thanks to, to Aaron. So Aaron, if people wanted to talk to you about orcs, how would they get a hold of you? Or are you doing any social media or any sort of uh, media media, you know, podcasts, videos, whatever? Yeah, look, I've been doing a, a, bun- a bunch of podcasts intermittently. Um, like the uh, we've got the Art of War Down Under podcast as well. Um, but if you want to get in touch with me, the best way is through the War Room uh, on Facebook um, for Art of War. So that's the best way to get in contact with me. And then, yeah, we can talk more um, through there. Yeah. Real quick, just so everyone's on the same page, we have uh, been upgrading a lot on the back end side of things. Our new website is up and running. We are now running warm streams through our own website using Vimeo, so not Facebook for live streaming. Quality is getting a lot better. Uh, we still have the Facebook group, and if you like that community aspect, it's still there. Um, so a lot of exciting things happening. You can catch Aaron there. He is one of our coaches. And, uh, of course, like you said, the Down Under podcast, along with the regular Art of War podcast, are both available uh, on the theartofwar4dk.com, which is our website. And if you buy them both together, you get a discount. So uh, that's pretty much it. Happy holidays, everybody. And we will see you over in part two, where we talk about Aaron's orcs into individual matchups. All right, everyone. As as Nick said, you should come over and join our Patreon so you can listen to part two, where we're going to get into the nitty-gritty, dirty details of optimal play with Aaron's Orcs. I don't even know if I said that right, but that's okay. <laughs> I think they call them Oryx now, like in uh, AOS, which is pretty cool. Um, you can find our Patreon at AOW40K.com, or now you can get the second episodes at TheArtOfWar40K.com, which is the website where you can buy everything and now there's some bundles where the second edition the second part of the podcast you can actually get with war room access and some other some other things too so um make sure you check that out all right everyone we'll see you all next week patrons we'll see you in a few minutes like the strategy discussion you heard want to hear more about the tactics of this list sign up for our patreon at aow40k.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.